All right, tonight, tonight it's going to be short. It is 8.38. Our goal is to be out of here by 9 o'clock. Um, I mean, my sermon will be over by 9 o'clock. And then worship will be over about 11. All right, so. Hey, wasn't, wasn't it when they first started like a shock compared to like last night? Oh, just to me, okay, that's fine. It was a shock. Worship was a shock compared to last night. Because last oh, night it was yeah. just like downstairs and like we could hear all our voices and stuff like that. And it was like, <gasps> rock, you know. Okay, anyway. All right. Uh, my sermon's going to be really, really quick because I know you guys are tired and I want you to get a lot out of, uh, of the, the rest of the time by getting some rest. So, hey, so tell me what we've been talking about the first two days. Uh, Monday night we talked about what? The mission of God What? Begins with adoration. That's a good one, right? Mission of God begins with adoration. Uh, day two began. What was about? Birth canal. Birth canal, right? <laughs> the mission of God begins with you. Birth canal. I mean, it wasn't as good as yours. Uh, Chris, Christy, Christy was. She's kind of jealous. Jeez. Okay. So t- just kidding. Today we're going to be talking about. We're going to ask three questions. Okay. And this is what uh, Heather's going to write down for us. Okay. Uh, how do we know? How do we know that the mission of God will succeed? How do we know that the mission of God will succeed? That's question number one. This is what we're going to answer. Question number two. You could do uh, MOG for a mission of God next time. We'll succeed. MOG. How do we know that the mission of God will succeed? That's number one. Question number two is a lot like it. The question number two is, what will it cost us? What will it cost us as Christians, as the church? What will it cost us? And then number three, we're going to talk about how will we make it? How will we make it? How will we accomplish the goal? How will we make it? Those are the three questions, and I'm going to go through them pretty fast. If you understand my answers, then we can move on to the next question, okay? If you do not understand, then we'll stay there forever. Cool? Fair, right? All right, so number one, how do we know that the mission of God will succeed? All right, so now this is the thing that we do know, okay? Everybody turn in your Bibles to Matthew 24, 14. Matthew 24, 14. Matthew... 2414. Does anybody know for 100 points what the Great Commission passage is? Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Well done. JCA people, come on, guys. But this one is Matthew 2414. This is very, very important because this tells us a lot of information. Can somebody read it for us? Matthew 2414. Can somebody read this for us? Saying? All right, with a loud voice. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So what has to happen before the end will come? Right, the gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. To all the nations, nations, we hear that word all the time. These past couple days, what does that word mean? Anybody know the Greek? Ethne. Ethne. Nice, Jasmine. Jasmine, you get 500 points for that. 
All right, ethne, we're not talking about people groups, we're talking about languages, cultures, worldviews, right? Right? So whenever the gospel is preached to the whole world as a testimony to the entire earth, every people group, then the end will come. Okay? Then the end will come. All right, so how do we know? How do we know that the mission of God will be accomplished? Number one, Jesus never lies. That's a pretty good one, right? But I do have a scripture to back it up. Jesus never lies. Matthew 24, 14. I mean, sorry, 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 sorry. This is, that was not it, okay? But Jesus says, heaven and earth may pass away, but my word will never pass away. Whenever Jesus spoke, right, and when he would prophesy, they would all come true. You guys remember how many prophecies uh, were about Jesus before he came? It was hundreds. Hundreds of prophecies, and they were all accomplished. So Jesus, everything about Jesus is truthful, and it's not a lie, right? So Jesus never lies. And when he says it, that the gospel will preach, uh, will be preached as a testimony to all nations, and then it will, and then it will come, we know he'll tell the truth. Number two, the ransom has already been paid for those people among the nations. Have you guys ever bought something? How many of you guys have ever bought anything on layaway? Do you guys know what layaway is? Like final product? What? What's final? All right, so back in the day, before everyone had credit cards, what, the, what you would do is you're like, hey, um, that guitar, there was this guy that actually bought this guitar. Well, he wanted to buy this guitar, but he didn't have the money, and he didn't want to put it on a credit card. This is before everyone had credit cards. So he would come every month, and he would pay $100 towards that, um, toward that guitar. And that guitar could not be sold because he put it under layaway. That was his guitar. But he would just pay for it, pay for it, pay for it until the final payment. Then they would hand him the guitar, and he would take it home. Right, kind of like on hold. That's layaway. This is what Jesus has done essentially for all the nations. He's essentially put the entire world on layaway. He's paid the price. He is going to pick up that item. He's going to pick up the souls. Does that make sense? You don't pay for something and not use it, not take it. You don't just leave it at the store, right? It's like uh, Chris buying a bunch of groceries and then just leaving it there. Right? Right? The ransom has already been paid, Revelation 5, 9 through 10. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God, uh, for God from every tribe, language, and people, and nation. And you've made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. Worthy are you, they're talking about Jesus, to take the scroll and to open its seals. This is Revelation 5, 9 through 10. Um, something about church history that we see that is quite inspirational is something like uh, the Moravians. How many of you guys have ever heard of the story of the Moravians? Five, nine, ten, yeah. The Moravians. They were a people group in Europe, right? And this is the group of people that literally sold themselves into slavery. Have you heard? I've told you that, uh, some of this story once before. You guys remember it? They literally sold themselves into slavery so that they could preach the gospel wherever they were taken by their captors. That's like the worst kind of missions I've ever heard in my life. But the nice thing is you don't have to raise support. You just become a slave, and you can preach the gospel wherever you went. And this is what was interesting. As they were sailing away on the slave ship, um, the Moravians, the, the, it was two people, two, two, I don't know if they're guys or girls, but I'm pretty sure they're guys. They, they raised their hand, and they said, this is what they said. May the lamb receive the reward of his suffering. May the lamb, Jesus, right, receive the reward for his suffering. May Jesus get the reward for laying himself down on the cross. What is the reward for Jesus? What is the reward? Well, Christians, yeah, but even bigger than that. 
Grace? What'd you say? Huh? Louder? With confidence? What? What'd she say? <laughs> what are you saying? What are you saying? Glory, yes. <laughs> glory. May the Lamb receive the reward for his suffering. It is glory through salvation, through people receiving the Lord. The Moravians had this intense mentality that they wanted Jesus to receive his reward and they, would go, they were going out to do it. They were going to get Jesus, their, their, uh, his reward. Isn't that amazing? Number three, the glory of God is at stake. This is how we know that the mission of God will succeed. The glory of God is at stake. Right? Because if, if the mission of God does not succeed, that the world is not taken over by the gospel, right? Then the glory of God is ruined, is broken down, is weakened. Right? You see all of these things stacking up to know that we are going to, the mission of God will succeed. Will absolutely succeed. Right? Now that, as a church, that, that gives us a lot of encouragement, Right? Have you ever, like, want, um, did a, some sporting event where you were really anxious? You really wanted to win. You really wanted to win, but you weren't sure. You were just, you know, like some people have, like, absolute confidence. Yeah, we're going to win. But, like, you were going to the sporting event. You really want to win, but you don't know if you're going to win. And you're really, really terrified. Right? This is not the case. For us, we know that we are going to win. In fact, Jesus has won already. Right? It's just a matter of playing the game we got to play the game. You get it? And then number four, God is sovereign. God is in control. Right? We oftentimes think, and this is part of why adoration is so important, we oftentimes think that God is not in control. We think God is weak. We think God is smaller than our problems. Right? How many times do we feel that? How many times have you had some major problem in your life and instead of turning to God, you turn to your friend? Or you turn to a parent? Or you ignore it. Like you just feel whole, whole, um, totally hopeless and despairing. Because you have this big problem, but God does not come up on your radar. You don't think, oh, God can handle this for me. I don't trust God to do that. You might not say it in those words, but in your behavior you do. But God is absolutely in control. That's partly why I've been ranting and raving for these past couple of weeks about how oftentimes we are terrified as Christians. The church is terrified about Muslims, LGBT, the liberals are coming, right? We have all these, these fearful ideas. But the fact of the matter is God is in control. God is totally in control. And that doesn't necessarily mean everything goes our way at that moment, right? We know this. Life is real. Life is hard. God allows certain things to happen in our life. But he always redeems those things. How many times in my life have I found that the things that have broken me down have actually brought me close to the Lord and has actually helped me to minister to others and have deep compassion for others? Right? All right, so what will it cost us? Number two, what will it cost us? Now, this is, what the, part, this is the part that's depressing. The cost is suffering. For the mission of God to be accomplished, the cost is suffering. Now, Obviously, there is a degree, right? There is a, there is a scale of suffering uh, where people are laying down their lives in front of ISIS, killing them because they're Christians and they won't recant, right? That is obviously an extreme level of suffering. I can give you story after story. There was this one uh, in the 1500s uh, when all these missionaries were going over to Japan. And the Japanese emperor at that time decided, nope, we are no longer. This, this is dangerous. 
the, the Christian message is too dangerous. So they stomped it out. And one, on one occasion, what they did was in low tide, they, they, uh, they, they put all these posts in the ground and they crucified 70 Christians upside down. And so their heads were touching the sand upside down. Right? Can you imagine this? This is during low tide. And there were children next to their mothers, next to their fathers. And the tide came in, they began to drown. And they died that way because they were Christians and they refused to recant. Recant means turn away from their faith. The entire, hist- all the history books are filled with instances like this. You guys remember the Colosseum, Roman Colosseum, during Nero's time? There would be people that would just stand, including children, women and children. This is, they wanted the men to fight other soldiers or uh, gladiators, right? But the, but the women they would put in and they would, just, they would, have them, they would be stripped naked to embarrass them, to humili- humiliate them. And they would put them in the middle of the Colosseum and they would take these lions that were really agitated and haven't been fed for days and days and days. And they would let them loose. And these lions would literally rip apart children and, and women. And these women would link arms and they would begin to sing praises to God. In the middle of this Roman auditorium as everyone began to scream in, in celebration that these, these Christians were being ripped apart. I could tell you countless stories of these, these kind of things. All the, all the, all the apostles, Jesus' disciples, but there's a, there is a, there is a um, different levels of suffering. For you guys, right, for you guys, what if we start ministering to the kids over in Masoit, right, and they come over, right, and they steal one of your iPhone, iPhones, like that happened to Fish. Fish has no money. Fish is working really, really hard. His parents, they support him a little bit, but he's trying to get on his feet. He lo- he's trying to follow Jesus. Right? And I'm telling him about ministering to, to people, like to reach out to kids, and, and he wants to, and he's trying, and he loves sports, and so he was trying to play basketball with the neighborhood kids, and, and that Sunday, somebody stole his iPhone while he was playing basketball with those kids. And it was the iPhone 6, and he didn't have any money to buy another one. Right? That's suffering. Minuk, his wallet was stolen. They threw the wallet into the bathroom, and they took $40, and those were for bills. It wasn't just for spending money, right? They were bills that he was going to use them for, right? What if they came up here and my guitar is $3,000. That's how much my guitar costs. What if they came up and stole my guitar, right? That's a certain level of suffering. Uh, what, if they, what if some of these kids that we're trying to minister to got in a fight with, like Sang or Kyung, Right? You have all these different levels of suffering that will start entering your life. When you take a stand, when you start following the Lord, when you try to start living for the mission of God, these levels of suffering will come. And there's a lot of theologians that believe that in the United States, more and more of this suffering will come. I've read a bunch of Facebook posts about how pastors are, are resigning because they, um, they don't want to uh, marry um, two gay, like a gay couple. And they don't want to be forced to do it. And they don't want to be sued, so they you know, lose their home or retirement or whatever, you know? It's a level of suffering. I guess the question you have to ask yourself is, is it worth it? Is the suffering worth it? Is is me losing my guitar worth it? If someone might come to know the Lord, if a revival hits because uh, somebody losing their phone and continuing to minister no matter what, Or, or even worse, somebody losing their life. You know the Charleston thing where that guy shot up that uh, Bible study? Um, people were criticizing them, criticizing the, the victims' families. They were criticizing the victims' families. You know why? I read an editorial piece on this. 
They said the family forgave too quickly. Because this family, Christian, these Christian families, right, loves Jesus. This white dude comes in who hates black people and starts shooting up the Bible study, similarly executing. He said that what it, what it said it looked like was people were lining up to get shot. He was just executing all these people, and then they come out. And instead of Charleston, South Carolina, found it, instead of Charleston rioting, right, people started having prayer vigils all across the city, filling up, right? And then the, 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 sta- the families came out with a statement, I forgive them. I forgive this guy. Right? It's the price of suffering to live the mission of God. Is it worth it? That's the thing that you have to decide in your heart. When something bad happens to you, you can choose to be the victim or you can choose, you know what? This is the price of suffering. If this means that somebody is even close to coming to know who Jesus Christ is, thus living the mission of God, then it's worth it. Right? Then, then you're willing to give away everything. None of the things matter. Does that make sense? And this is something that I can like preach to you and you guys be like, oh yeah, I agree, I agree. But it doesn't matter until it's in your heart because you are the one that will be the one giving up everything. The other thing about suffering, it might not be somebody doing something to you. It might be you laying down something. It might be you laying down your career. And to some of you guys, I know that you have a lot of fear from your parents. You're afraid that your parents, like if you said you wanted to be a missionary, your parents would be very angry with you, and they might. If you said that you didn't want a certain job that they want you to have, that terrifies you. You feel like God is calling you to move in a certain direction so that you can live out the mission of God, but you're afraid to do that because you're afraid to disappoint your parents. Might be the case. Is that suffering? Yeah, I would say so. Maybe not at the same level as somebody that's losing their life. Right? So the question is, how far will you go in suffering? Because that's the cost of the mission of God. You have to recognize this fact that if you move in the mission of God to start living in the mission of God in your life, you will suffer. And then the last type of suffering is inconvenience. How many of you guys worked your butt off today in the sun at VBS? VBS team. There was parts of it that was just absolutely glorious. It was awesome and fun. And there were times where you're just like, I just don't want to be out there anymore, right? It's very natural. It's hard. And then when you compare that to, oh, I can sleep in. I don't have to get out of my comfort zone. I don't have to go and talk to somebody I don't know. Right? Me, me and uh, um, Sang were having this conversation with one of the kids, and he was, uh, we were asking him about, like, tell me the family life about some of these kids. And he was saying, hey, this one kid, I won't name his name, but this one kid, that kid over there, yeah, he has five counts against him. He's been arrested. And he has, like, it's like burglary and, like, a, um, um, what is it, attack, not attack, what is it called? Um, assault and, and things like that, right? And he, he was, like, 13, Right? And then we asked him, I said, well, what does his dad do when he finds out? And he says, he don't have no daddy. Uh, what does his mom do? Does she get mad? He's like, she just says, get in the house. That's the trajectory of his life. You guys know where his life is going. 
one kid I talked to, and I, I talked to him for a long time, I was like, you know, what do you, what do you want to do with your life? He's like, I'm, I'm going to get a job. I'm like, that's not what I was asking. What do you want to live for? What do you, what do you want to be passionate about? Well, I can, I can, I can work. And you, can, you kind of get this idea that he's never, ever thought about it for a second. Nobody ever sat him down and said, hey, I believe in you. Right? But to do that, to have these conversations, means that you are going to be deeply inconvenienced. How many of you guys have noticed, like some of your friends around here, that it's really hard to mentor them because they're, some of them are crazy, like the younger guys or the younger girls, right? It's hard to mentor them because, like, you know, they, it's not very comfortable. Or, or you younger girls and you younger guys looking up to your, the older ones trying to get their attention just to say, hey, do you care about me? Do you want to get to know me? It's inconvenient. It's uncomfortable. It's difficult, Right? Is that suffering? Yeah, probably at the very lowest level. But you have to understand that if you're going to live the mission of God, that that's going to be the cost. And that's why I love when Jesus says, you've got to lay down. You've got to lay down yourself. You've got to die to yourself. That means you've got to let yourself die, your desires die. And you start to replace your desires with God's desires, which is the mission of God. Which is adoration, which is bringing glory to him. That's what you have to do. And really, ultimately, we know it's not that hard, right? It's a simple idea. Oh, I should stop living for myself so much. I should start looking and finding out what God wants me to do. And then I should start moving in that direction. I should start taking steps. I should probably start hanging out with people that actually do this, that live the mission of God, or at least tempting it. What I've learned from this trip is that we have so many different opportunities and ministries to connect and to uh, uh, network. Like, there is not a, a month ever that we would have that we couldn't do ministry if we didn't want to. Easy. But what's the suffering? It's going to cost us. It's going to be really inconvenient. It's going to be really uncomfortable. It's going to take us out of our comfort zone. We're going to lose money because we've got to use money for, other, uh, you know, the, for ministry instead of doing the things that we want to do necessarily. Right? It might not be fun. You might be doing it alone because the fact of the matter is, in our youth group, what our kids usually want to do is fun. And if it doesn't have an element of fun, guess what? They don't want to do it. They don't want to just serve. And this is something that you have to process. How will we make it? Question number three. How are we going to make it? How, how, is the, how are we going to make it through the suffering? We have to keep our eyes on the prize. This is the main, main thrust you need to remember. You've got to keep your eye on the prize. Then everything is worth it. Now, what is the prize? Some people think pr the prize is heaven. Right? Which, which, from what I understand, heaven is a pretty awesome place. But I think it's, I think it's even more than that. I, I think heaven is, yeah, definitely an element to it. But I think when we get to know Jesus, our Savior, right? The lover of our souls. We really get to know him and we start becoming passionate for him. And there's just something about that love that we want to express. And that I think about all the time, Judgment Day. When, when Jesus says, well done, my good and faithful servant. I know that sounds really like official, but it's just basically saying like, man, Howard, I'm so proud of you. That everyone around you was living their own life, but you chose not to. I saw what you did. I saw the things that you sacrificed. I saw how you loved those people. And I saw how you did it even when you didn't necessarily have to. And I know you didn't feel like it. And you did it because you loved me. 
And I saw how you, you worked so hard to be faithful because you wanted to make me proud. Well, you did. You made me proud. Welcome. This is all yours. I made this all for you so I could spend eternity with you and love you. That all of a sudden makes life seem very, very short and very, very unimportant, except for the matter, uh, fact <laughs> of the matter that you get to spend that entire time, right, blessing God. You get to spend that amount of time bringing glory to God. You get to spend that amount of time being on the winning team. You get to be on that, uh, uh, that, that amount of time bringing masses, people that are brokenhearted. You met them. You met them today. You met them yesterday. You met them before. You've met them on mission trips. The broken, the messed up, the poor, the impoverished. You've met them all. And you get to introduce them to Christ, and that changes their life. Maybe more than your life. I think about all the time. Some of you guys wonder about your own faith in the Lord. And there was this, uh, this um, story uh, where the Pharisee, you know, he was just basically like really judgmental. You know, and Jesus tells this, this parable, and, and at the end, you know, basically says, you know, who do you think, who do you think loved more? Right? And then the Pharisee answers correctly. He says, the one who, who, who's been forgiven the most. And for you in your life, maybe, maybe your life isn't that messed up. Maybe you don't realize how lost you are without God. But there are people all over the world that do. They just know, even before they met Christ, that they are a big black hole. I think all my life, looking at my life and reflecting and contemplating on my life, I recognized how messed up I was and how in need of Jesus I was. Maybe that's where some of you need to start. Because when you start to recognize your need for Christ, then all of a sudden you have this deeper compassion for others. And you want to introduce them. Hey, I I'm sick too. <laughs> I'm as screwed up as you are. And you know what helped me? Jesus. He saved my life. You should meet Jesus. Let me tell you about Jesus. He can totally change your life. That's what fat people do that got really skinny. They're like, hey, what'd you do to get skinny? Let me tell you all about it. This is what I did. I did this. I did this. You can do it, right? Right? That's what fat people do that became skinny. That's what I do. Whenever I'm feeling good and skinny, I give you all a ton of advice. When I'm fat, I'm just like, I don't know. I have no idea what to do to get skinny, right? When you meet Jesus and he saves your life and you were broken and messed up, all of a sudden you see broken and messed up people and you want to tell them how, how God can change their life. We start living for the, for the mission of God. We start living that our prize is just be able to stand before Jesus and saying, hey, you know, Jesus, I, I love you. This is why I did this. Thank you so much for saving me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for giving me a chance. Thank you for helping me to bring other people to you. Look at your life now. Are your video games worth it? Are your shopping worth it? Is your dreams of your career worth it? Your parents, uh, this, is, this is a tough one, but is your relationship, you know, like living exactly the way your parents want you to live, is it worth it? There's this one passage that makes me uncomfortable as a youth pastor. But it says Matthew 10, 34 through 39. You can write this down. Matthew 10, 34 through 39. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. This is Jesus speaking. He did not come to bring peace. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. 
that doesn't mean you should go hate your moms and dads, especially if you have a bad relationship with them already, because I know how teenagers are. But it is saying, Jesus is saying that there is nothing in this life that is more valuable than your relationship with Christ and what he's called you to do. There's nothing. There's no trade that's more. Right? And I'm not going to convince you by saying, hey, if you, if you follow Jesus, your life is going to be wonderful. Right? Your marriages will still, it'll still take a lot of work. Your relationship with your kids, your fear, your insecurity, your intimidation. Right? The sins that you struggle with, maybe your addictions, you will still deal with those things. But our hope when we start placing it in Christ, it shifts everything. And everything has a purpose. And everything can draw us closer to him and to help us draw others closer to him, right? It's the mission of God. Tomorrow, we're not going to have a service as far as like a teaching. I think you guys have learned a lot. I think, I think. Hopefully, you guys have had some time to process. But tomorrow, whenever we have the chapel um, time, we're going to give you a chance to process, to spend time praying, to spend time committing. Again, I'm not a big, like, I'm going to make you emotionally... um, weak so that you'll make this deep commitment to missions for the rest of your life. That's not what I'm interested in. What I want is you to process, to pray, to ask the Lord, right? And to make a, a commitment with your heart, with your mind, right? Determined to follow Christ in a deeper way, living for the mission of God, doing the things that you need to do, kind of like what we talked about yesterday, but more, right? Doing it from a heart of adoration. Yeah? That's what tomorrow is going to be about. Can I get a um, word on, on what happened with Shania? Like, how, how's she feeling? Who, who went there? Are they going to let her, are they going to let her go? Okay, so what's up? She's going to come here. Okay. Okay, and her mom's okay with that? I love Shania. <laughs> All right. So um, we're going to have some worship. I ended at 9.08, but I think that clock's wrong. It's 9.07. It's 